and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name's David Lee, and in this series, we're discussing the future of the workplace. The world of work has experienced huge changes in recent years. The rapid pace of technological change, the wide-ranging impacts of the pandemic, a heightened emphasis on mental health and well-being, and so much more. This has resulted in enormous changes to the way we all live and work. So what next? In this episode, we're going to hear more about what office space will look like in the future. Do we need to think differently about buildings and how we use them? To find out, I'm joined by Emma Newlands, Brody's Health and Wellbeing Manager, and by Donald Reed, co-founder of Reed Mitchell, the company responsible for the delivery of Brody's new Edinburgh City Centre premises at Capital Square. So, uh, Emma, to you first of all, what do we mean by a well building? Well, I think what the main thing is, and it's, it's just a, a small statement, really. You know, it's all about recognising um, the importance that a building or a workplace brings in supporting and really enhancing the health and well-being of its occupants. It's as simple as that. Um, it, it's all about having that at the forefront in your mind when either we're developing workspaces or we're looking at even, you know, doing a bigger project like putting in, um, obviously, you know, looking at um, a building um, projects such as what we've just come through in Brodie's and recognising that really from the start and working through that as the whole process continues. And what you get at the end of that is an environment where you will always be able to consider the response of your colleagues to a positive workplace that works for them and not just the organisation. So maybe this is a bit of a dumb question, Emma, but, you know, why why does this matter? Why do the surroundings of your workplace matter to the well-being of your employees? You know, I think it's sometimes easier to look at it from the opposite side. So, you know, let's consider when um, a building or a workplace is a poor working environment, first of all, um, and what impact this can have on an individual or colleague or employee. So you might have heard of um, the term sick building syndrome. So which is all about when, you know, an individual shows health symptoms which worsen in their working environment um, or specific building and then lessen when they leave. Um, These things include real physical symptoms such as headaches, scratchy eyes, um, lethargy, poor concentration, all these sorts of elements. And a lot of it is caused um, around, you know, poor ventilation, poor lighting, flickering lights, um, inadequate spaces um, and crowded work areas. And, what we really saw, um, you know, we've seen this emerge over the past, especially when we have been looking at open plan offices and how that has developed in spaces around workplaces and offices. So let's turn the poor side of workplaces and let's look at it from a positive point of view. And that's really where the foundations of, you know, wellness within a building or, or um, a work environment um, is is where we can see that better. So that's things like good ventilation, good lighting, good areas where um, colleagues have control over where they work so they can move from, say, a a busy work environment, which for some is really good in terms of collaborative working, um, to a quiet area where you may be having to focus on, say, reports or working, you know, on a specific project or document that, that, that may come across your desk. 
you know, areas where colleagues can sit together. And we are in a, you know, we've got ourselves over the many years of working in offices that we we sit at our desks a lot for um, lunch. We don't take those breaks and, and enforce those breaks. And actually, environments where we have somewhere that is is considered a, a a good area to sit down, have lunch, take a break. It's all about going back to your workplace, feeling refreshed and also supporting in terms of productive. So from all these sort of poor things that we've learned from, we've been able to v- develop and look at actually let's turn that those poor aspects into a positive. And that's really the foundations of how we've seen that link between employee well-being. And Donald, from your perspective, what do we mean by a well-building? Yeah, I think from from my perspective, and, and looking at this from a context of a of an office building, um, very much for me, it's a it's a building which supports the the health and well-being of the the inhabitants and those who who work there. Uh, I mean, broadly, this can be achieved by adopting a series of design and construction elements which uh, impact on the environment around us. So things like the light, um, fresh air. Uh, acoustics and the like, uh, and obviously a number of elements in terms of of how the space operates. And how do you build that into the whole process of creating a new development? How do you sort of embed that idea of a well-building and how can you relate that to the development of Brodie's new premises at Capital Square in Edinburgh? Yeah, I think generally, first of all, it does have quite a significant impact, actually. Um, The most important element for me is understanding the client's aspirations at the outset. Uh, it is really difficult to to build in the required elements later uh, and do them retrospectively. There's probably two main elements from a from a project perspective. Um, the first of these is is whether the client wishes to pursue a formal accreditation process. Um, if they do, uh, everyone really has to be aligned and understand what the targets are from the outset. Um, the accreditation process itself, which we can perhaps talk about later, requires input from the the whole team against a set of criteria an assessment of what can be achieved. Um, and obviously this requires to then be closely managed and monitored through the project to ensure those targets are being achieved. The second mailing element to that is uh, ensuring that well-being is at the heart of the design and construction process. Um, so not only um, the formal accreditation, but also the actual design and construction achieves those aspirations. So for example, um, achieving Fresh air uh, quality requirements uh, has, a, has a number of factors from the beginning. So ensuring the base building uh, achieves the required um, fresh air levels, ensuring that the design undertaken um, for the occupier, such as Brodie's, um, then achieves the specific requirements. And then it's a factor of making sure the contractor during the construction process um, undertakes all the necessary work and necessary measurements during the construction process uh, and protection required. You've then got the final testing needing done at the end of the project um, and also submission of a whole load of information at the end to pursue the, the accreditation. Um, I think in terms of how this related to the work with, with Brodie's, um, I, th- I think the first thing to say is the team at Brodie's were clear from the outset that they wanted well-being to, the, to be at the heart of the project. So that made our lives a lot easier. Uh, we agreed early in the process to pursue one of the formal accreditations. Um, and then we worked really closely with the client team and there was real um, strong interface with the likes of Emma and her colleagues, which wouldn't be normal uh, on a typical project of this of this scale. Okay. And just something to 
pick up on there that you said, Donald, you said it's very difficult to do all this in an, in an old building. Um, so c- can you can you retrofit a building to make it a well building or is it can you do it or is it just much more difficult? Uh, you absolutely can do it, um, but it is it is more difficult. A lot of the requirements um, are are fundamental building part, factors. So um, I, I mentioned fresh air there. I mean, that probably is the biggest factor and, and one of the biggest challenges in retrofitting a building. Um, fresh air design standards have increased over the years, um, just generally, actually, in order to achieve building regulation requirements. Um, so you're talking about bringing much more fresh air into a building, uh, which can have Pretty significant impacts on the on the building you're working in, more risers, um, bigger ventilation ducts, and the like. Um, and then you layer on the requirements of well, which can increase those ventilation standards even higher. So, um, yeah, it, it's absolutely possible. Anything is possible, but it, it is harder in, a, in an existing building. And Emma, same question to you: What are the things you need to consider when retrofitting to create a successful? and workable well-building? No, I, I, you know, this is, again, a really good question. I think a lot of people see, uh, we, you know, we are very lucky that we've got, you know, a lovely office that's got all these functions and, and areas that we can, we can obviously support and provide for our colleagues. But, you know, small things matter. So where I said about, you know, taking time for lunch, we don't always, you know, as a culture, we, we don't do that as much as we, you know, as, as we should. And um, we don't encourage people to get up and work, walk around their workplaces and um, to go and take those breaks. And what you see with that is by the end of the day, your productivity within a within a, an office space and a, a work culture is on its knees. By three, you know, We all know the three o'clock, four o'clock dip, you know, where we're, where we're heading towards the vending machine and, and buying lots of um, things that are not so good for us. We all know that that takes place. Now, getting up and being able to to divide your day into small chunk bites supports you on an individual basis, but also has an environment for the rest of your colleagues to be able to witness that. So a lot of it is really looking as well at the cultures that's involved within workplaces as well. And and that has to, and I'll go on to that maybe later, but that has to be led from the top. So that is behaviours as well around just the bricks and mortars. It's not hard to do and people get very nervy about it because, oh, no, that's time away from the desk and not actually managing. But if we can try and turn it around on its head and actually say, well, actually, the first half an hour, hour back at somebody's desk when they've had that space gets an awful lot more work out of an individual than it would if they hadn't done that. It's interesting that you mentioned that three or four o'clock dip, which, you know, I think people get in the office, but I, working from home, I certainly get that at home as well. And that brings us on to that whole issue over the last couple of years. And as we move into hybrid working, what can what can employers actually do to ensure the time that employees spend away from the office working from home to enhance their well-being as well? You know, we've got a fantastic new well-building but how about getting that balance of making sure that when they're working from home, you know, that maybe those small changes are made to help them in that homeworking environment? Yeah. I, I think um, hybrid working, you know, has with the pandemic, it has accelerated. Obviously, we all know that we it's it's given. You know, actually, I describe it as being a colossal change management project, which many businesses didn't think that they were going to, to, to put in so quickly. But it has enabled, you know, many organisations to actually be able to um, facilitate individuals 
who actually were looking towards wanting to work um, a little bit more from home. Not entirely in some cases, but for a lot of individuals, that work-life balance is, is critical. Uh, and my line of work, occupational health, we've been seeing this for many years. The problem with the pandemic as such is that one, I'm saying it was good that it was forced on us, but secondly, it was forced on us. So behaviours and habits of individuals that, that people have managed over the last two years may sometimes not have been wonderful. So, you know, we, we haven't been able to, I don't want to say watch people, but we haven't been able to monitor people's, our colleagues' behaviours. And, and with that, and we all know, we've read about it, we know the impact in terms of burnouts and things, that people have been working longer hours, people haven't been breaking up their day. You know, we... I, I, you know, I remember doing a webinar right at the beginning of this and it was all very, um, you know, let's all go for a walk. Let's look at all the colours and all these sorts of things because it was so new. Fast forward a year into it and we were absolutely bogged down with it. So there is a little bit of acknowledging, great, we've got hybrid working, but those practices really do need to be embedded. And that comes with responsibility from the individual as well. They have to put in those those um, those practices as much as a culture which enables that to happen, if that makes sense. Because I know what I'm like. I'll get involved in something. Next thing I'll look up and it'll be four o'clock and I've not, and my eye watch has gone bananas because I've not moved. So we're not wonderful at doing it, but we have to be able to recognise, obviously, the, the, the good of, of doing that. And when a new building is created, Donald, is, is a well building the norm now or are we still on a journey towards that at the moment? I think, again, thinking specifically about offices, um, it is becoming much more the norm. Um, whether buildings pursue accreditation or not um, is, a, is still a factor. Um, many buildings don't, but certainly um, personally working on a, on a development at the moment and uh, well ready is very much the, the focus. So ensuring that the building can accommodate a tenant's requirements when they come in. So ensuring the necessary air capacity, um, light levels, um, acoustic performance and the like. So so building um, the the development in a position that um, it is ready to accommodate those tenants' requirements and that accreditation if they so wish. Okay, and you've talked a couple of times about accreditations there. So what's, what's out there at the moment? What are the main accreditations available for well buildings at the moment and, and how are they measured? Yeah, there are there are probably two main accreditations. Um, one that I've worked with closely on on with Brodie's, um, and, and another. Um, the first of those is the Well Building Standards, which is operated by the International Well Building Institute in the US. Um, it's probably the most robust of the accreditations, um, with different ratings of bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. Um, each of the projects is measured against ten criteria with a number of preconditions that need to be achieved. Uh, and then optional conditions which um, determine which rating you achieve. So criteria will include things like air quality, water quality, light, thermal comfort, sound. Um, but probably one of the biggest differences now when looking at, at well as opposed to previous accreditations is is the integration with the actual operational factors. Um, so both in terms of how the space is used, such as you know movement factors, such as um, trying to encourage use of stairs rather than lifts, things like that. Uh, but also in terms of company policies, such as mental health policies and the like. Um, so really integrating the operation of the business with um, a project-specific factor. Um, so working with Brodie's on, on Capital Square, we're pursuing the well uh, building standard at platinum level. Um, and we're presently working through that accreditation process with the IWBI um, audit team due to visit soon. 
um, to assess the project and, and the wider business policies. Uh, probably the second main accreditation um, being used in the in the sector at the moment is Fitwell, which is also out of the US. Actually, it's operated by the Centre for Active Design. Um, slightly lighter touch than well uh, building standards, but um, it's still recognised industry wide and very similar. It, it uh, uses ratings of one, two, three star, uh, and it works on seven impact categories, um, such as instilling feelings of well-being, promoting occupant safety, increasing physic- physical activity. Um, so once again, you can see it's not just about uh, the building itself and the design of the building, but it's also about how the um, how the business operates within that. Probably worth saying that that both of those um, they, they are a significant investment by um, the client. Um, you know they're not cheap, um, and they also require um, significant involvement and significant effort from the team. So it is a real commitment for those that that pursue them. So yeah, so how so 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 you've talked there about accreditation. You've also talked about wider business policies, and you've talked about employee well being. Is it difficult to get the balance of all of that together when you are creating a building to make sure it works with those wider business policies and it works for the staff? It needs to be considered um, very closely at the outset, I think, is, is the key thing for me. So it is very much a combination of of both how the building is designed and um, the operational side. I think the way I would look at it is that the built elements are essentially a platform uh, upon which you can build your well-being approach as a business. Um uh, we often look at projects as being the be all and end all, but ultimately it's it's more about how a space is used and creating a um, a space that then achieves the business requirements. So as soon as we finish the projects, that 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 project then has ten, fifteen, twenty years um, operational life with that business. So the building itself and the design is very much the platform. So getting that right at the outset. But um, I think what we've learned on the on the well being approach is. It is critical they run hand in hand through the design and construction process. Um, so much more involvement, um, for example, with the likes of Emma and, and our human resources colleagues within Brodie's, um, something you would never really have beyond initial briefing stages, but they were involved through every stage uh, and making sure that the, the operational requirements they need to achieve um, to achieve the accreditation levels and just general business requirements are then designed into the project um, at the outset. Okay. And what about employers showing that they really care about this, that well-being isn't just about ticking all the boxes, but they actually do take it all very seriously. And that building is being designed as a well-building for the employee's well-being. How can they show that? Yeah, I think the... um... I think this was a journey that was already happening um, pre-pandemic, but the, the pandemic has absolutely accelerated um, the, the amount of change. Uh, we see that with a number of our projects and, and clients we work with. Um, there, I think what we're seeing moving forward is a significant change in how workplaces will operate. Um, everyone talks about hybrid working models and, you know, essentially a lot of that is around where people work. Um, you know, people aren't always in the office now. Uh, and it really does have a, a knock-on effect to how workspaces are designed and how they need to perform. Um, so I think it's fair to say that um, the pandemic has significantly accelerated a change that was already underway, but it's a journey that really does have a have a long way to go yet. And how do you think employees' expectations have changed of their employer? Um, and, and what do you think are the most... What, what changes have we seen 
And what are the most important factors, do you think, in, in making employees feel happy and secure and physically and mentally well in the workplace? Big, huge subject. Um, and if I look at, you know, without, you know, going back too long and telling how long I've been in this line of work. But, you know, I, I've been in this line of work for 18 years, Knock Health, and that's supporting both sort of public sector and obviously private sector in terms of businesses. And people like me in terms of occupational health have been beating this drum for a very long time. Um, previously, we used to call well-being health promotion. I don't know if you ever, anybody remembers that term, but, you know, that involved people like me standing with fruit on a Friday, handing out, you know, oranges and bananas. And that was our bit. You know, that was as much as we we, we did um, in terms of trying to get that message across around about where well-being is involved and how it, how it you know, how it how we can look after our, our, our colleagues and businesses in that way. Now, when I look back 18 years ago when I started doing this, and even I would say even in the last five years, moving actually with the acceleration of the last two years, there is a much higher expectation from um, our employees and the culture that goes with that. And, and I think that we have to be able to respond to that, those expectations. And and how much did did you involve uh, employees in, you know, the creation of the of, of, of the new building? How much did you talk to them about what they wanted? And has that always got to be an ongoing process in terms of finding out what works and what doesn't for your staff? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, I've been around um, Brodie's um, for the past um, three years, um, originally at the consultancy side of things, but obviously now um, permanent within Brodie's. And what I saw, what I witnessed at the beginning in terms of when you were discussing and talking about the building, there's always been, I would actually always say, a really positive energy. I know it sounds right, but there has always been a positive energy about this new space, this new building and, and taking on board right from the get go, the wellness side of things. And that's, you know, partly taking on board the well building accreditation and the importance that that is. And that is across many aspects um, around well building, which, uh, which is also around not just the bricks and mortars, but the policies that go with it and the mental health side of things, the physical side of things and how we support our colleagues. Um, so there's been work around gen generally looking at our physical health of our colleagues. So ages ago, um, we're talking three years ago, we did uh, MOTs and we, we got some data around that and we were able to move a little bit more um, around looking at, as I said, that bespoke um, well-being needs um, of our of our colleagues. Also as well, the bricks and mortar of what I've said is that we we, we showed um, our, our colleagues what type of furniture was going to be going into that area or the areas that they were going to be working in. And it does seem like an awful long time ago, but, you know, we had a nice space set up that had, you know, the computers and, um, you know, PCs, workstations and everything like that for people to try out. You mentioned evolving. Yes, it does evolve. We've only been in this space now for oh, a few weeks, months now, but already things are evolving. So we already have some feedback around how comfort the area, how comfortable it is, mainly positive. But we do have some, you know, um, things that we do need to consider around individuals who are maybe um, who have got their own individual needs. So we need to keep moving and we need to be able to say this isn't just stagnant, that we, you know, as everybody who works within our in our um, firm um, of our colleagues still has importance in terms of what they feel they need within that within that workspace. Okay. And 
And back to the employer side of things, Emma, how do employees show that they actually are serious about employee well-being and that it's definitely not just a tick box exercise? The fundamentals of well-being start, as I've mentioned before, is really from the top down. There has to be buy-in. I have spent many times um, knocking on the doors of of um, not at Brodie's, my ad, but in, in other areas, you know, really with cap and hand saying, can we have this? Can we have that? And there is an element of understanding that the cost of getting this wrong for, for a business or a firm is can be a bottomless pit to some extent. You know, you know, if, if we get this wrong, you see it very quickly. You see people who don't want to come into work, don't enjoy their work, aren't productive, you know, um, are you know, I was talking about that sick building syndrome, become a toxic work environment. And if we don't get a culture right that enables um, from, as I say, the top down to, to, you know, walk the walk, talk the talk, to get that being part of what I'm talking about in the future into just everyday conversation, then we will never embed it right down, coming down a, a business or across a business as such. You know, colleagues need to feel that they are, everybody understands that commitment. And what's your observation, Donald? I mean, Emma's talked about this as well, but about what employees want and whether their expectations of what they get from their workplace have, have increased, particularly as a result of the pandemic. You know, what are the key factors, do you think, in making employees feel happy and secure and physically and mentally well in the workplace? Uh, I think the key thing for me, and kind of partly speaking as a as a professional delivering services to clients, and um, partly speaking, I suppose as an employer as well, um, it really does need to come from the top. And I think we saw that um, working with Brodie's um, Nick and the team um, at the outset were very very focused on on well being, and it was um, it was number one on the priority list from the from the beginning of the project, which was great to see. Um, it wasn't just a um, uh, an ability to go and pursue an accreditation to to make the business look good. It was very much integral to the process. Yeah, the accreditation is used to to measure and perform and, and demonstrate what has been achieved. But ultimately, it was all about um, that leadership from the top and making sure. And I think it's pretty clear in, in a number of projects we do that um, if that leadership isn't there from the outset and, and coming from the top of the business, um, it never really is uh, achieved, whether that's sustainability aspirations or well-being aspirations. You really need that that leadership from the top to pursue it at the outset and, and drive and, it forward. And do you see that more commonly now in, in projects, do you think? Do you think uh, leadership teams are really getting this and understanding that they, you know, they do really have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think... Um, uh, particularly post-pandemic, I think uh, you really do see a difference in, in how clients are um, approaching their their projects. Um, part of that is to, to to respond, I guess, to the to the way um, staff now operate and kind of younger generations coming into the workplace who have a different way of um, performing, a different way of delivering their role. Um, they're used to working in different ways, which is to be honest, quite quite difficult sometimes for more senior people in the business. I suppose that was the same. Um, when I was young, coming through, we were working differently to the, our older peers, and now it's uh, now it's the same again. You know, the younger generations come through working differently. They don't necessarily want the same things as 
as we did um, when we started out. So um, uh, what we're seeing is a lot more um, flexibility, um, both in terms of HR policies and, and how people work and where they work, uh, but also within the workplace, very, very much moving away. And um, it's, we, we don't really do projects now which are filled with desks um, and have everyone working in a, in a regimented fashion. It's all about flexibility. It's giving people spaces to work in um, and making them feel as if they've got the space to go to to do whatever function they need to at that point in time. And, and finally, Emma, we've come a long way from fruit on Fridays to really embedding this idea of well-being. Like you say, it's being, it's there, it's in the business. Uh, it's an iterative process. It's organic. It's going to carry on changing. Um, you know, do you feel that at Brodie's, you know, you get into that stage where you can really see it embedded right in the middle of the business and do you still give people an orange and a banana on Friday? <laughs> we give them more. We, I think we've upped our fruits. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was one of the parts of, of um, the well-building accreditation is that um, I was quite uh, proud of it. No, we do fruit, but I think we need to give more fruit out. So we have, we've done that. Um, so it's still there. It's still in the background. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we can see things. As, if we're talking about embedding. I think that we even actually just having – my job title there, you have somebody within the, as an organization, a health and well-being manager. You know, somebody's managing that part of, of the organization. And again, it puts, um, a bit of onus on me. Um, but again, that allows me that voice to be able to, you know, keep reminding and keep developing, um, you know, that thinking around well-being and, and, you know, have, again, keep abreast of what's going on out there. Keep, you know, keep that knowledge moving all the time, because as I say we don't want to be stagnant and we don't want to sit back on our laurels and say, well, look, we've done it all. We haven't done it all. We've we've still got a quite we've still got a lot to do, as I said. And I think acknowledging that, you know, we we don't always get it right. We do. You know, we do have an awful lot around that we need to do around development of of um you know at management area at management level again at colleague level and that takes a lot of resources and a lot of commitment but i think as i say if we can if, if we've got the strategy there and we've got the, the the beginning parts of it that should move towards being able to implement that as i say um with across the business for short term and hopefully long term and, and finally, Donald, are you, are you proud of what you created at Capital Square? Uh, yeah, um, and it's always difficult looking back on projects uh, when you complete. Um, I think all of the, the design team and project team will say that. I mean, quite often you finish a project and um, you've been working on it for quite a long time and uh, all you see is the is the little corner that's not quite right or something that you, you looked at in a drawing um, three years ago and uh, hasn't quite been achieved but actually in reality what you do see is is a whole number of staff coming in and, and people coming in and just seeing how magnificent the space looks um, and that's always great to see and I think the number of comments you now see in social media uh, is fantastic um, and the feedback from the, the client team has been has been great as well so yeah absolutely uh, it's, a, it's a cracking space and uh, it's great to see it now being used with with people in there. Brilliant that's great thanks very much. You've been listening to Podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and other experts share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments impacting on the legal sector.
and what that means for organisations, businesses and individuals in various sectors of the economy across the UK. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all your main podcast platforms. And for more information and insights, please visit www.brodies.com.